Hi there. I'm Mark Legere, the Huddle producer who helps edit Don and David's podcast each week. In early January, we're planning a special edition of the podcast, an opportunity for you to ask David and Don about the big issues for the region's economy in 2023. Do you have a question for them? Send us an email at news at huddle.today and we'll get it on the list for David and Don. That's news at huddle.today. Now on with the show. Welcome to this week's Insights podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had a great conversation this week with Denny Caron, the CEO of the Bell Dune Port Authority. And I think this will be uh, an eye-opening conversation for folks that aren't familiar with the port, both in terms of its history, its current economic impact, and the future potential opportunities in the coming years. Yeah, in fact, very few people outside of uh, New Brunswick would have will even have heard of the port of Belle Dune. And uh, yet this is a really interesting story because it's one of the few ports in Canada that are that is located in an almost completely rural area. You know, it's not like Halifax or St. John. It's in a very small community on the Bay Shalore. And, um, and, 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 and not only that, but it's a, it's a port that uh, is important to that region. Uh, to that region. It, it supports almost 3,000 jobs, according to Denny. And uh, it's a port that's in, in the middle of a really important transition, having lost one very uh, big uh, client in a smelter and about to lose another at the end of 2030 when the Baldoon uh, uh, coal fire plant uh, goes out of business. So, um, and and they've come up with a strategy. They're not waiting for that to happen. They've got a pretty good strategy and one that I think uh, other other ports can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was part of the discussions back in 2015 to try and save the Glen Core smelter and try to get them to invest hundreds of millions into a new uh, modern uh, smelter. And unfortunately, that didn't go ahead. But I remember touring the facility and it was a, just a great example of an old style, uh, you know, heavy industry. And off in the corner was this pile of, uh, you know, uh, silver looking metal just sort of there, uh, just in the corner, no protection or anything else. And it was it turned out it was about $7 million worth of silver because one of the byproducts of the lead smelter was that there's tiny amounts of uh, silver. Uh, oh. And they, they would save that and they would turn it into bricks and they would throw it off in the corner. And there was, anyway, it was kind of, uh, kind of uh, interesting. But yes, it, that port has been so important to the regional economy up there um, for many, many years, high, high paying jobs, and uh, it is interesting to see them transition into green energy opportunities and, and uh, green hydrogen and other things. And we hear a lot, Don, you and I, we hear a lot of sort of blue sky, uh, you know, talk about the future potential. But I, I got a sense that, you know, there might be something to this project and this opportunity. Yeah, not only that, but uh, one of the things that I also think is quite different from this is that uh, um, the port is really looking at industrial opportunities, which not many people talk about anymore. Obviously, uh, the old industrial model was based on uh, dirty energy. Um, what they're talking about is uh, an industrial industrial strategy that's based on green energy, including things like, for instance, the production of green steel which I thought was interesting. You know, they have, they have uh, supplies from across the border in Quebec that they could actually uh, process in Baldoon. And the idea of, of, of 
processing things there uh, to add value, I think is a pretty interesting strategy. I was also impressed with the fact that they see an opportunity to export uh, green uh, hydrogen and ammonia uh, to Europe because, uh, you know, they have actually got a pretty good direct ro- route uh, over to Europe and they've got a, an agreement with a German company already uh, on that score. So, you know, the, the thing that they've got going for them, they have a lot of land. They've got a lot of land. They've got, you know, with the Glencore Holdings, about 3,000 acres. Um, NB Power's got 3,000 acres. They've got 1,600 acres themselves. That's a lot of space to, to be able to do manufacturing or production of hydrogen or ammonia or whatever they decide to do. So it's a really good story. Absolutely. And in the short term, this this cleanup of the Glencore site I threw out seventy million, and he said it's going to be far in excess of that. So that will be an awful lot of construction jobs and environmental remediation jobs, and a lot of economic activity in the northeast just over the next few years as they remediate that site. And I was interested to hear him say, you know, he was very insistent they want a world class cleanup uh, on that site, and uh, and uh, you get the sense they're going to get. Uh, sounds like they're going to get what they're asking for. It does. And, you know, again, uh, they're, they're going to be able to get some of the key assets from Glencore, including a rail line spur and some storage facilities at, uh, at bargain, <laughs> bargain based, uh, uh, prices, I think, which, uh, uh, further enhances the facility at the port. So, you know, it, it's, it looks pretty positive, I think, for the port, don't you? Absolutely. Don, I think this is the beginning of a, of a, of a series of potential, Discussions with port leaders across the region. I think uh, uh, this one set the table for uh, to try and help us understand what's going on with these ports and what the opportunities are, you know, for these uh, facilities, whether it's Halifax or potentially Sydney uh, or St. John uh, as drivers of growth in our region. That's right. hundred percent. All right. With any, without any further ado, here's our conversation with Denny Caron. Before we uh, talk about the port, Denny, can you tell us a little bit about you yourself and your career path? Uh, how did you end up uh, as the president and CEO of the Port of Beldoon? Well, I took the long way, put it that way. Um, so essentially, uh, I graduated in business and economics uh, back in 1984. And my first job was with, in municipal government. So I spent four years in municipal government um, before moving over to the provincial government. Back then, it was the, the Department of Commerce and Technology. And uh, essentially, I was a regional development officer here in northern New Brunswick. Uh, so my hometown is Camelton, but uh, I had the Shalor and the Restigush Regent. And while I was here in the, with Commerce and Technology, it would have been probably 1988. I spent about five years in the region, and I was actually seconded to ACOA. I managed their Bathurst office, their regional office, for about a year and a half. Uh, from there, um, I was asked to, to move to Fredericton. I became provincial director of regional development, provincial director of small business development as well, um, moved up to assistant deputy minister. And then along the way, I was went into other departments as a senior bureaucrat, uh, primarily with the Department of Intergovernmental Affairs, but I was called back into the economic portfolio um, probably during the, I go by the premier, so the Sean Graham era, so I was appointed uh, Deputy Minister of um, the Regional Development Corporation, or President, I would say, of the Regional Development Corporation 
and then uh, during the David Allward years, I was uh, uh, Deputy Minister of Environment and Def Deputy Minister of Local Government. So I was certainly involved in the local government reform, the first reform that happened in the province here. And then I went back after a couple of years uh, with as Deputy Minister of uh, actually uh, Agriculture, Fisheries, Economic Development, the Regional Development Corporation. And for a short stint, I think with you, David, I was part of the job board under uh, Brian Gallant. So I retired seven years ago. I had 32 years of public service under my belt. And at the time, uh, was always uh, known that I would come back home. And, and when I came back, essentially, they were looking for someone here at the port. So I accepted to stay for five years, and I've been here for seven. <laughs> so, Denny, I think we might have met, by the way, because um, I presented to the deputy ministers in New Brunswick several times, including during Sean Graham's tenure. Um, so that might have been where we first crossed paths. But you've had a very uh, wide-ranging uh, background in terms of portfolios, which obviously helps you in your current uh, role. We want to find out a little bit more about your port. Uh, by the way, maybe you can, first of all, tell us where it's located, because there's a lot of people outside uh, New Brunswick probably don't know exactly where you're located. Absolutely. So obviously, we're northeastern New Brunswick. So we're, we're actually um, between Bathurst and Camelton. So Beldoon is actually midway between those two cities. So we border on the province of Quebec, and we sit on the Bay of Chalor. So essentially, we're in that area. Um, the port is part of what, what they call the CPA, Canadian Port Authority. So we're in the same family as Halifax or Vancouver or Montreal or Quebec City. So essentially, we manage the terminals for the federal government, but we're not federal employees. We're, uh, I have an independent board. Uh, and uh, we operate as a, as a business, and um, there's no operating grants uh, that we receive from the federal government. We have to be self-sufficient and generate our own revenue and, and look after all of our expenses as well. Yeah, that's a great summary. Uh, tell us, uh, when was the port uh, first established, uh, and, 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 and why Baldoon? So uh, the port celebrated just a few years ago, it, 50 years. It was built back in 1968, and it was uh, primarily uh, set up to support the mining sector here in the region. So, of course, mining was big in the day. Uh, up until 2014, we had probably one of the largest ore bodies in the world. So Brunswick Mine ran for about uh, almost 50 years. And uh, essentially, a, a lead smelter was built. Uh, as a result of the uh, the mining activity, and uh, therefore they needed a port to export uh, the product that was being produced, which primarily was sulfuric acid. So acid was being produced and shipped globally around the world. So back then, uh, the company would have been Noranda that operated the smelter and the mine. Um, then it was sold to Falcon Bridge, and at the end in 2014, Glencore essentially own the smelter and, and the mining site. Uh, other sectors that the port clearly supported was the forestry sector back then as well. So those were primary, uh, the two economic sectors uh, that, that really drove the activity here at the port. Yeah, so it was kind of purpose-built at the time. Uh, uh, and tell us about the infrastructure um, and capabilities that the port has. 
So what's kind of interesting and it's helped us kind of define our strategy is that we're not situated in an urban area. We're not like the Port of Halifax or St. John or Montreal. So we are in a rural area. And uh, so the port itself has four terminals. We have deep water, so 15.2 meters of water. So we're considered a, a deep sea port. Uh, despite the frigid weather in the wintertime, we are open year round. Uh, we sometimes get icebreakers, but not, not that, that often. And essentially our port is primarily what we call a bulk and break bulk port. So we handle liquid bulk and we handle dry bulk. A liquid bulk would be petroleum products primarily that we have. But dry bulk, we have about 28 different products that, that come uh, mostly from Europe. So we have um, industrial products like uh, uh, bauxite and mill scale and silica sand, salt that comes from Morocco, um, you know, different industrial products that are used in the industrial or manufacturing sector. And we import um, quite a bit of product, but the, the products that we export primarily is, is really um, uh, industrial wood pellets. We have four suppliers, three in New Brunswick, and of course, we, we neighbor Quebec, so we have a Quebec supplier that brings its product here. So we're actually the largest uh, industrial uh, exporter, if you will, of, of wood pellets to the UK primarily. Um, other products, of course, because we're we're next to a coal-fired uh, plant, uh, we import coal, and uh, and so about a, a million tons of coal per year. But our total tonnage has grown; we're up to about three million uh, ton per year of, of product, different product. Yeah. So um, coal currently represents about a third of your volume. Is that is that right? Yeah, a third of our volume. So, so clearly, um, when the federal government indicated that it wanted to reduce, you know, its 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 CO two footprint and eliminate the use of coal, uh, that's clearly a, an impact on us that it would have. Uh, but similar, you know, when when the smelter closed back in 2019, there was an impact there as well. So we've made up the difference. Uh, you know, we're as I say, we're very profitable. Um, we've increased our volume, but we had to be very innovative and creative in, in doing so. Just for clarity, with the, when the smelter closed, what, what kind of volume was that representing? So the smelter was actually exporting probably about 200,000 ton of okay. uh, sulfuric acid. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit more about other infrastructure you have on site, like your modular fabrication facilities, things like that? Sure. So again, we sit on about 1,600 acres of land, and, on, and uh, the, our bookends, uh, essentially on, on one side is NB Power and, and the coal plant, and they actually sit on 3,000 acres of land. And on the opposite side, Glencore has about the same acreage, about 3,000. Um, so quite a bit of land, clearly, uh, that uh, I, I think with respect to any ports along up and down the eastern seaboard, uh, and when I say ports that are directly connected to the, the water system, we probably have the largest piece of land that, that is available. So that's a, that in itself is very attractive. 
Uh, obviously, we're tied to rail, so CN rail is, is, is essentially connected to the port. Uh, as I mentioned, we have four terminals. Uh, one is leased by NB Power, uh, one was leased by Glencore, and two other uh, are leased to Quebec Stevedoring, and Quebec Stevedoring um, essentially load and unload vessels. Uh, they operate on 80 terminals. Their head office is in Quebec City, but they operate from Houston up the Mississippi to Chicago, the Great Lakes, the St. Lawrence, and Atlantic Canada. So they're part of a obviously a network that's very important to us. So it allows us essentially to reach the hinterlands of the Midwest through the Great Lakes. But as I say, our primary markets have been Europe and uh, very, you know, we, we don't uh, export that much into the US, um, but it's, it's, it's really with respect to Europe that we do the most amount of trade. We'd like to get a sense of the economic contribution of the port to the northeastern New Brunswick economy. I'd like to start by asking you about the port itself, its annual budget, how many employees you have, just your direct economic contribution as a port. Sure. So our uh, operating budget is $10 million a year. Uh, so we generate uh, you know, revenue for that. And uh, we probably, because we are what's called a port authority, we're not, as I mentioned, we're not... Uh, federal government or but we are a public entity so uh, clearly all of our, uh, our all of our finances are public so we uh, we generate as I say about 10 million per year we probably have um, close to 25 27 million dollars in the bank uh, there are rules of engagement essentially that we have every CPA in Canada has rules so we have limits on our borrowing uh, and uh, uh, essentially, there are uh, other requirements that we have to follow. And uh, with respect to kind of the economic, uh, direct in, in economic benefit, we have about 20 uh, people here at the Port Authority. We do not operate on terminals. So as I mentioned, we have Quebec Stevedoring that has probably 80 people on terminal number three and four. NB Power, when it operates its terminal, it has its own complement of, of people, probably a dozen people. Uh, but, you know, just to give you a, a sense, we probably have about 200 trucks per day that come into the port in and out. So either they're bringing salt uh, that we, 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 we get from uh, Morocco and, and road salt or um, bringing in industrial wood pellets to be shipped out or or uh, wood chips uh, uh, that are being shipped out as well. So, so with respect to supporting industry, the, the sectors that we support primarily are, as I mentioned, the forestry sector. So much of the sawmills in the area use support. Uh, we have the wood pellet operators, uh, JDI out of St. Leonard, uh, Group Savoie de Saint-Quentin, and the Shaw Group that are here in Beldoon. Uh, we actually support uh, a cement plant in right across the bay here in Port Daniel, Quebec, that was built about five years ago, five or six years ago now. So most of the industrial product that comes in to produce uh, cement comes here to Beldoon, and we have a, a ferry service or, or, or we ship it across the bay on a, on a weekly basis, whatever materials they need. So some large industries, again, 
when the smelter closed, there were 450 jobs associated to the smelter. NB Power next door has about 125 to 150 people. The sawmills, you know, JDI, Group Savoie, Chalor Sawmill, they're well over 200 each. And of course, the trucking that goes along with that. So much of the, you know, the activity uh, or the products that are produced essentially uh, come in, as I say, by truck or by rail, and then um, products that come in from, from Europe uh, also go out by truck or by rail. Did you ever try to sum that up, Denny? Are there two or 3,000 jobs that are tied to the, to the port? Do yeah, easily, easily 3,000 jobs, um, you know, and, and, and again, this area has been... Uh, it's always been a heavy industrial zone. I mean, when you think of a power plant, when you think of a lead smelter, uh, you know, the mining operations. And of course, in our region, uh, many years ago, we had other facilities like, you know, chemical plants in Dalhousie, pulp and paper industry as well, that the port supported back then. So, so we've been kind of a, a very important uh, infrastructure piece, if you will, to, to really, um, you know, uh, be able to reach markets globally. And, 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 and I think that's the, the kind of the approach that I took when I got here was to say, well, a lot of people would say, well, you know, what can we export out of New Brunswick? But we kind of looked at it the other way and said, well, what can we import into Canada using our port? And then from there, you know, where can we ship the material to? Makes a lot of sense. Can I ask you just a quick question on Glencore? I, when I was in government, I had heard it would cost them something like $70 million to do all the remediation and the cleanup of the site. Do you have an update for us on where they are with their sort of their site and what they're trying to do in terms of remediation or, or selling it or whatever, whatever they're doing with it? Uh, no, I sure do. So, so when Glencore closed back in 2019, uh, the Premier had asked me to lead a task force team, essentially to look at uh, other economic activity. But I had met the, uh, the um, President and CEO of Glencore, who indicated that they wanted to do what was called a world-class cleanup. And uh, we indicated to them that they'd have to have a world-class relationship to make sure that that occurred, <laughs> uh, which, uh, to their credit, they've held. So. Uh, just recently, probably in the last two months, they received their permit from uh, from the province and the federal government to start the cleanup of that. Um, it's well over $70 million, I can tell you that. And um, essentially, there are some of the assets, if you will, that we as a port would be extremely interested in. So we're in those conversations because if you were to look at where the smelter is located uh, adjacent to the port. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, rail, for instance, within the port system that Glencore operated that, of course, is very useful for us. There's some, uh, you know, dry bulk handling and storage facilities that can be repurposed that cost millions of dollars. So, so essentially for us, it would be beneficial to to have that, and of course, the land itself. I mean, the, the smelter was sitting on probably, I would say, 300 acres of land, but there's another 2,700 acres that's available 
that potentially can be you know transferred over to the port and add to our the acreage that we have today so um, I would say that it's probably one of the largest cleanups in New Brunswick's history and the permit was issued probably within 14 months and that is really a, a testimony to their commitment and and they were extremely transparent but obviously as a port authority and and uh, a community leader we had to hold them to account uh, with respect to you know what they were going to what they were going to do and 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 so far they've they've kept their word on that you previously mentioned that some change in your makeup of your clientele with Glencore closing, of course, and the mandated uh, phase out of coal at the Beldune Generating Station by 2030. By the way, will that station still be used, or it will be will, will the power station be shut down? I mean, that's still under consideration for NB Power. I mean, the life of the power plant uh, is to 2043. So if it closes in 2030, it becomes a stranded asset. Right. Um, Ironically, we export industrial wood pellets to the UK and they use them in their power plants to reduce CO2. Uh, so hey. there could be, there could be <laughs> a solution there for NB Power uh, with respect to that. But essentially, it's an important piece of their, their grid or their system. It balances their entire system. So mm-hmm. it's like a light switch. They can turn it on or off at, you know, when they need it. Whereas right. with nuclear, hydro, or renewables, you can't do that. So it's a very yeah. important piece. And uh, I was saying earlier that uh, up until maybe a year and a half ago, um, they were hopeful. NB Power was hopeful to get an equivalency or an extension from the federal government. And of course, that was refused. So now they're, they're really looking at alternative fuels. And uh, we're yeah. hopeful that they'll find something. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about wood pellets replacing coal. That's a very interesting uh, um, sideline. Um, you know, you've uh, you've recently released a 30-year master plan to kind of embrace the future and the new opportunities. You've broken the plan into kind of two phases, uh, the first 10 years and then the next 20. Can you give us an overview of that plan uh, in the first uh, for the first phase especially and then maybe a little bit about the longer-term vision? Uh, sure. So, so essentially, as I mentioned before, uh, we're we're in a industrial zone, heavy industrial zone. So we we, we still want to uh, support industrial development here. And uh, so there are sectors, you know, because we are a port and because we bring material in and we export material out. Uh, the plan would be really to to do you know, value added with that product. And it's not foreign to us. I mean, if you look at the smelter that operated for 50 years, that's exactly what they did. And, or, or the pulp and paper industry or the chemical industries that we had here. So, so we are very interested in that type of development in, in different key sectors. But in order for us to be successful, we recognize that we have to, you know, there's a value proposition that we have to essentially put into play. And that's where the energy comes in. If we're able to produce or process uh, materials using green energy or clean energy, uh, then, of course, you know, there's, there, there's a, a demand for that and a growing demand 
uh, quite frankly. So the first 10 years is really to look at, you know, industrial development and, 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 and look at the energy sources that we can use to develop, uh, you know, cleaner products, if you will. So whether that's ammonia for the export market or for fertilizers, or whether that's other types of chemical products that can be processed using green energy, whether it's green hydrogen or green electricity. And then, of course, uh, we know that uh, on the ener energy side, there is a transition. I mean, we, we are uh, involved in the SMR technologies. We actually have uh, MOUs signed both with Moltex and ARC. And uh, we think that, you know, we should be looking at those technologies now to see if, if there's acceptance of them and if, if, if they can be properly utilized for industrial purposes. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're really focused on renewable energy uh, and looking to, um, you know, to attract investment in, the, in that space as well. So, so the industrial development piece is still dear to our heart. It's like going from a heavy uh, industrial zone to a green industrial zone. And I often use the example that, uh, you know, the three largest emitters in New Brunswick, the first, of course, is St. John and the refinery. The second is the power plant behind me. And the third was uh, Glencore up until 2019. So we do know that uh, the power plant in 2030 has to cease uh, using coal. So we've kind of eliminated our, our you know, our heavy, dirty in, in, industries. And, and now we really want to focus on green um, development and green processes. Yeah, a key element of your vision is obviously to reposition the port as part of a green energy hub. Um, there was a recent announcement, wasn't there, of uh, uh, an agreement with Cross River Infrastructure Partners to develop a green hydrogen production facility. And I think I we, we did a, a podcast with uh, Bill Labby, the uh, CEO of Art Canada, uh, recently that, that indicated that, you know, their interest in working with you as well to uh, put an SMR on, on the site. So can you just talk a little bit more about that opportunity like i'm interested what i'm interested in is uh how are you going to um you know be able to um pay for that kind of an investment because it's not going to be cheap right yeah so maybe if i just explain the green energy hub because it's it's more than just yep. a hydrogen. Sure. yeah so the green energy hub is as i say we're we're actually producing uh locally uh industrial pellets that are shipped to Europe uh, to reduce CO2. So that's a product that we can really keep, you know, developing and promoting. Uh, potentially NB Power could uh, use more of that product. I mean, we export about 500,000 tons per year, and just the power plant itself would require about 1.2 million tons. And we have four suppliers, so you can imagine, you know, the economic opportunities from that perspective. Um, so wood pellets is, is one of, you know, it's part of our, our, our product line, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, the other area that we're extremely interested in is batteries. So uh, if you look at manganese, so we can either import it in because we're a seaport or we, we do have um, 
potential sites here in New Brunswick that are very interested in processing that material for, you know, for battery and battery storage. So that's certainly an area that we're very interested in. Uh, if we look at renewable energy, whether it's solar or wind, um, you know, we, we do have the ability in our region to add more wind, in, in particular uh, in areas like we're part of the Appalachian Mountain Range in this area. So we, mm. we are able to, you know, the wind profile is actually pretty good. We do have a couple of wind farms, but if, if I look uh, outside my window here and I see the province of Quebec, the Gaspé Coast, I mean, there's a lot of wind farms over there. And uh, of course, those wind farms feed into NB Power's grid. And because we have a power plant here, we have a, a very robust system in place to, to, you know, we can increase capacity on uh, for transmission, etc. So, so wind becomes a very important piece, especially when we want to green, you know, our operations here and, and attract industry. And so we're working very closely with, uh, with NB Power and, and, and other developers to look at increasing, you know, uh, the, uh, the megawatts through that system. And then, of course, as we, you know, we, we recognize that there's a transition from fossil fuel to renewable energy uh, to small modular reactors, and we want to be part of that story. So essentially, that's why I think we, we had the vision to say, well, let's kind of uh, part, not, not so much partner, but let's at least sign an MOU with Moltex and ARC to understand that technology and understand whether or not we can use it here for industrial development and and, uh, and producing other products. So, so the energy source, as I say, becomes extremely important to us. And we know, you know, the situation that NB Power is in. Uh, we know that uh, they have challenges not only with the power plant next door, but they have challenges with Mactaquac and Fredericton, uh, and they want to green their grid. I mean, they're clean or have a cleaner grid. They're at 82 uh, percent, uh, uh, um, you know, emissions free, if you will. But it's the last uh, 18 or 20 percent that's that's really the, the the most difficult component of that, and and we have that in our backyard. So. With respect to our strategy, we were successful in getting money from the federal government through what's called the Coal Transition Fund. So the federal government, of course, recognized that uh, communities would be impacted with the closure of, of you know, of these, these coal-fired uh, plants. And essentially, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. But here in New Brunswick, it's really Beldoon. So we essentially received you know, uh, quite a bit of funding, about $1.7 million from, uh, through ACOA to really develop this strategy that we launched a number of weeks ago. So, so we, we've been, I would say, doing our homework, uh, making sure that we hire the right experts to advise us. And, uh, and what's interesting, I find, is that you know, whether it's a seaport or it's the grid that NB Power has or it's other infrastructure like rail, it's something that um, if you lose it, you'll never get it back. And, and I think one of the objectives I had when I, when I arrived here 
was to say, how could we optimize the infrastructure that we have? Because it's underutilized. There's no question about that. But at the same time, you know, to build a port today uh, would cost a heck of a lot of money and just the permitting would almost be impossible to get. So we have these assets all over New Brunswick, but primarily here in, in northern New Brunswick that uh, we have to use much better and, and, and really generate, you know, activity with. Yeah, just two, uh, two quick questions that I wondered about. Uh, you're not into containers, yet you have a deep water, uh, pretty accessible European market. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know if you've considered that or not. And secondly, uh, on the wind side, are, is, are there any discussions at all for offshore wind? So on the first, on containers, I mean, we've looked at it in the past, but we believe that there's a better business plan for this region than containers. And, and so it's really the industrial development, as I say, to what we had before of processing material and, and either uh, importing, you know, material in and, and sending a value added product out. So that's kind of our focus, right. to be honest with you. Uh, so, no, we haven't really given much thought to container. There is quite a bit of uh, competition in the, in the container market. I mean, clearly St. John, New Brunswick is expanding. Halifax would like to expand, but it's kind of restricted. You know, Montreal is doing a major expansion as well. Um, so that's that's really not our core focus per se. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I'm sorry. The second question. The the, off, the offshore wind. The offshore wind. Uh, you know, I've been traveling quite a bit to Europe. I was there a couple of weeks ago again in Germany and. I would say that offshore is more prevalent in Europe right now because they, they don't have the space for inland. We still have quite a bit of opportunities in New Brunswick to build uh, on land, and it's obviously a heck of a lot cheaper uh, to do it. So I think from a business case, uh, you know, we still have that ability here in New Brunswick to increase wind, um, albeit um, uh, on land. Uh, there are uh, we have, you know, been in conversation with with groups that would like to put up uh, offshore, uh, primarily uh, around the Acadian Peninsula. I think that would be the primary area. Uh, but again, the, you know, the the grid system of NB Power is not as robust in the Acadian Peninsula, so you have to build the transmission up and and so on. Whereas Baldoon, we're, we're the intersection of Quebec, so we do get power coming in from Hydro-Quebec that runs right across Baldoon down to southern New Brunswick. And because of the mining sector we had for many, many years here, we, you know, we have transmission lines that go out that could actually bring the renewable energy back in onto the grid and here at the port. So that infrastructure is still there. And, and once again, I, I think um, our strategy is is to try to optimize on the infrastructure that we have and use it to the best of our ability. Denny, I just wanted to circle back on the mining sector quickly. The federal government does have a national mining plan of some sort. There is a, a desire to do more mining here. And I know Don Mills and I have been thinking more about mining in the context of Atlantic Canada. There's a small zinc uh, copper mine in the Bathurst area, but I think they've had some trouble recently financially. There's that potential tungsten molybdenum mine in Stanley. There's a magnesium, manganese mine being proposed for somewhere around Woodstock. 
do you see any future opportunity for the port to export minerals that are actually mined here in New Brunswick? No question. I mean, you know, whether we export the raw material or, or again, we, we take that material and we process it into something of value. Uh, definitely. I mean, we are in conversation with many of those players. I think they do have a challenge. Uh, you know, some of it is, is market driven. It's cyclical. Some of it is capital. Uh, many of these are junior mining firms that don't necessarily have the deep pockets to make those types of investments. And, uh, and, and so, and some of it is timing as well. So I, I think that would be extremely, um, you know, would be a, a real benefit if we could develop more of the mining sector here in New Brunswick, uh, not just for Beldoon, but I guess for, for everybody. And um, if I look at next door, I mean, you know, uh, we can I we can also, which, you know, uh, when we talk about green products, one of the products that we really are looking at developing is, is what they call DRI, uh, direct redu reduction iron. So those are pellets or iron pellets. Uh, but using uh, green energy, so it becomes a green iron product, if you will. And because we're sitting next door to Quebec, uh, Quebec is uh, huge uh, in mining, and uh, you know there's there's a possibility of importing iron ore from Setil. Setil is only 200 nautical miles from here, uh, and processing that material into a value-added product. So, you know, if we had it here in New Brunswick, that would be fantastic. But at the same time, if we're able to bring some product in from Labrador or Newfoundland or northern Quebec, uh, you know, when you look at the map, we're just next door to it. So, Just a quick question on the SMRs. Uh, you, you mentioned that earlier, but I just wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, where that might happen and, and the timeline. Um, the, your release, your press release talked about one gigawatt uh, of power production from, uh, from these ASMRs. We talked to Bill Abbe, as, as Don mentioned, those those reactors are about 100 megawatts. So that would be about 10 individual um, 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 units. Right. Do you have enough space uh, for, for 10 different nuclear reactors up there? Uh, and what is your rough timeline? I know these, I know these are very, very uh, ballpark estimates, but are we talking early 2030s, mid 2030s? What's the, what's the timeline around the development of this potential nuclear energy up there? Well, we certainly have the space, so I'm not concerned about that. I, I think that uh, every 100 megawatt unit is about the size of a, of a uh, city block, if you will, if I if my memory serves me right. So we have many city blocks here that we can, you know, we can fill. So I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, you know, clearly the, the first uh, uh, unit that, that will be deployed will be in Point Le Pro. And so, I mean, that's why NB Power is very interested in that technology as well. Uh, but the notice or the uh, press release that was put out last week was once again falls in line with our overall strategy of developing industrial products here using, you know, clean energy. And, and I do want to make the distinction because I'm not trying to whitewash uh, green and clean here. There is a difference. And uh, the government of Canada is, is looking at... Uh, 
essentially how it it it, it measures uh, emissions intensity. Uh, it's not necessarily looking at you know the source of the energy, uh, albeit uh, it certainly won't be fossil fuels, but but uh, uh, they are looking at that. So so for us. Uh, the small modular reactor technology is extremely interesting. Uh, we wanted to ensure that the community, um, whether it's the First Nations or the neighboring communities, or, or that, uh, that they uh, start to really turn their attention to that technology, that they better understand it. And, and we as a port authority uh, have a certain responsibility to the community to ensure that whatever we do here is done, you know, in, in accordance uh, uh, with, uh, you know, with a social license. So the social license piece to us is extremely important. And, and we believe that if the technology is properly licensed, regulated, and, and we can use it here, that it would essentially allow this region to, to kind of a, renaissance, if you will, of industrial development using that technology. So we're hopeful, but at the same time cautious, and we want to make sure that, you know, it is accepted by, by the community. So we talked earlier about how busy you've been uh, recently, Denis. You, you did sign an MOU with a port in Germany. I won't make, I won't attempt to pronounce the, the, <laughs> the community, but you're to collaborate on the movement of uh, dry and liquid bulk commodities and manufactured products with a focus on clean fuels and green products. Can you tell us a little bit about this opportunity? Yeah, sure. So it's a port of Willenshaven. So it's in northern Germany. It's one of the deep sea ports. When you read in the media that uh, Germany is actually building up its infrastructure to receive LNG or to receive hydrogen, that's one of the primary ports. Uh, what's interesting about that port is they're very similar to Beldoon. They're not in a heavily populated area. Um, and uh, they do have the industrial development that we're very interested in. They, they do have steel plants. They do have two power plants, actually, that run uh, with or ran with coal. Uh, they have other industries that, that essentially uh, the synergies would be very good for us to, you know, to, to, to work with them on. And of course, uh, with the Russian invasion and, and the fact that Germany is getting off of coal completely, they're reducing their use of nuclear. And of course, 50% of their natural gas uh, came from Russia. So they're very in a, a very difficult position. And of course, Atlantic Canada has a golden opportunity to really get into you know, this energy sector in a, in a big, big way. And uh, we, as a port, recognize that to bring products such as green hydrogen or ammonia, it has to be a port-to-port -port type of activity. And uh, I can tell you, because I was on a call this morning with probably eight ports from um, Germany and, and many of our Atlantic ports here as well, that that relationship is starting to build. And it's something, again, that maybe we took for granted in the past that, you know, there was, we didn't have that port-to-port -port relationship, but we see that as extremely useful because it, you know, the ports have their contacts, they have their tenants, they have their clients, and it's probably a, a, an easier pathway to, to deal with the port 
to get access to these, you know, these industries and, and try to uh, either, you know, get some of their products shipped over here to North America via our ports or even some product, you know, produced here for the North American market. So, so from that perspective, um, that's been uh, a, a very interesting one. And I was in Germany, I came back about a week ago, and we also signed a similar MOU with the port of Hamburg. So we have two MOUs with two ports uh, in, in, in Germany, yes. I, I actually got a chance to visit that port on a cruise a couple of years ago. It's actually a pretty nice little community around there. It's, the, it's really the port for Hamburg, isn't it? Uh, well, in Seven, it's about three hours, but Hamburg has its own port as well. Okay. But it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 more in, you know, in 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 the regions, if you will. And like I say, I, the similarities to us are are, are 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 pretty interesting, and and to see what, uh, you know, the industries that they have here that potentially we could also have uh, here in our our port location. Yeah, I just want to ask a, a quick question about the bulk handling facility from Glencore. Uh, you, you, obviously, you, you have an interest in some of their assets, as you mentioned. Um, where are you in those discussions, first of all? And, and, and the secondary question is that, you know, they have a smeltering plant, which I, I have to figure must, be, must have been an expensive facility to build. Is there any possible other use of that facility? Well, the, the smelter ran for about 50 years, and uh, it's pretty old technology, though not very okay. efficient. Uh, just before it closed in 2019, it undertook about a $60 million expansion. They, they ended up finishing about half of it, but still, I don't think that uh, the plant was feasible. In a sense, it was, you know, the costs were too high, and they ultimately hmm. made that decision. Um, as far as as I mentioned, they received their permit a couple months ago. So there is what we call terminal number one that they were leasing. There are some, uh, there is some infrastructure that uh, they have to remove that was part of their operation. So they're they're in the process actually of re removing that now, and that terminal uh, for us will be available probably, I would say next summer, next fall. So we could find another tenant for it. And uh, there are, uh, clearly we have opportunities on that side. But insofar as, as really, there, there are really three areas that we're interested in with Glencore. One is, is the rail line. So uh, the spur line that comes off the main line of CN is about 10 kilometers in from the main line. So that was operated by Glencore. So clearly that's a very important piece of asset for us. They have what they call dry bulk storage and uh, undercover storage. So storage here, like we've put up just in the last three years, about three buildings the size of probably football fields that are that have domes over them and they're at a cost of $5 million each. Um, but they have, you know, probably five times that amount in storage capabilities. So that's a, a very, interesting piece of asset and uh, and the third piece is the land itself uh, uh, of course they'll have to decontaminate the land that the smelter was on but there's other properties adjacent to it that could be transferred over so it kind of comes back to 
you know, uh, a world-class cleanup. We, 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 we indicated to, to Glencore that uh, uh, we would like them to leave a positive legacy behind here. And, and I think that's the message that we gave to the community, to First Nations that were directly involved in, in looking at the cleanup process and the permitting, et cetera, to, to ensure that, uh, you know, that would be done uh, correctly. And unfortunately, all over New Brunswick, we have bad examples of, of cleanups that did, did not occur properly. I mean, in Bathurst, you have the stone consolidated property, was a pulp and paper mill that operated for years and it was just abandoned. I think it's an orphan property now that the province owns. Uh, UPM on the Miramichi, another huge property that uh, the province uh, is managing. So we didn't want that to occur here. And uh, as I say, excellent relationship with Glencore. And, you know, we're, we're negotiating hard uh, to get those assets transferred over and We'll, we'll see probably in the new year what happens on that front, but I'm, I'm, I'm very positive of, of you know, that it will be a positive outcome. Yeah, they probably don't have too many buyers, right, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just, uh, a couple of other questions, Denny, we want to ask you about. I want to switch uh, topics a little bit. Uh, you have played uh, a leadership role in the engagement with uh, New Brunswick's First Nations communities including a relationship engagement and consultation protocol with a number of Mi'kmaq First Nations that was done, I think, in 2018. In 2021, you signed what was termed a, a historic agreement with the Papano First Nations and others. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that means, uh, you know, your engagement to First Nations? I mean, obviously, you have a good approach, but what is the... What are the benefits of that, both for the port and for the First Nations? Well, I, I, I think, you know, we, uh, it's very important uh, that the right holders, you know, be involved in the future development of the port and of the region. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story how that happened. So when I arrived here, one of the projects that uh, was worked on before I arrived was the bringing in of crude oil from Alberta by rail uh, mm. to Baldoon and to be exported clearly, you know, somewhere. And at the time, um, the, the uh, you know, the consultation and, and, um, and community involvement was done, uh, but there were still uh, concerns about that product being brought here, especially after the incident in Lac Megantic, Quebec. So in New Brunswick, as you may be aware, uh, CN Rail has two routes. They have a northern route that goes through Rimouski, Camelton, Beldoon, Bathurst, Moncton, or the southern route that cuts across Napadogan into Moncton down through Halifax or St. John. And uh, at the time, uh, the route that was being planned was the, the northern route that goes along the Mattapedia Valley. The Mattapedia uh, area is a pristine you know, area, and uh, especially for salmon fishing and angling, etc. And there were grave concerns by the First Nations of Lestigush, the community across from Camelton on the Quebec side, and they filed an injunction. And so here I am, the new guy coming in, inherited the file, former deputy of environment, 
and I just crossed my fingers that they did everything right here because we were going to court. And I said to myself, we can't be doing this every time we have a project. There has to be a better way. So obviously we hired uh, uh, a law firm out of Toronto to, to defend ourselves, but I really took the approach that I was going to meet with the chiefs in the area and say, listen, um, the port is an asset for everybody. Let's develop it together and let's make sure that we do things correctly. And we want you uh, to be involved in, in the planning process. We want you to be involved in the development of the port, but not just when we have a project that we go and consult with you. you we, we, we want you to be involved directly. So uh, that took about a year to do. And it's actually with eight Mi'kmaq communities and mm. two closer Mi'kmaq communities uh, are Papano and Eel River Bar because we're right in the middle of both. So that protocol uh, essentially uh, allows us uh, to sit on a, on a quarterly basis uh, to plan for the future. All of these projects that we're talking about, whether it's, and you can imagine whether it's hydrogen or whether it's SMR technology, the First Nations are directly involved in that from the get-go. They understand what it's about and they, they're, you know, they're following that process with us. Uh, we've also put in capacity funding. We put about $100,000 a year uh, for capacity funding that allows the First Nations to use that money to, to essentially to get third-party expertise if they want to assess a file and they could hire you know, who they like to make sure that they're comfortable with whatever project we have under development. And if I go back to the Glencore example, uh, they were part of what we call the tripartite group that comprised of Glencore, the Port, and the First Nations. And so, uh, you know, very open, transparent process, making sure that, uh, you know, we develop this, this region uh, uh, in partnership. And uh, it's something I think that, uh, in fact, we're the only port up until I think now Prince Rupert on the West Coast has a similar uh, relationship now with First Nations, but uh, we did it back in 2018. So, Denis, we'd like to end our conversation with you uh, today by getting a little sense of perspective and his historical context. In the 1960s, even as early as the 1950s, industrial development was to be the driver of the economy, as you indicated, in, in northeastern New Brunswick, even into the 80s when you started your career Frank McKenna's uh, a push to develop the Beldoon uh, uh, NB power station was really a driver of economic activity. Uh, that was his goal with the facility back in the late 80s. So I wanted to ask you, are we at another moment like that in northeastern New Brunswick now where we're at the front end of a new generation of development? Or are we sort of in a, in a, in a kind of holding pattern where we don't really know what the future looks like? It sounds like you've casted quite a vision here but I'd like to get your sense of, you know, are you optimistic that these things are going to happen, that we're going to see a, a new generation of economic and industrial development in the Northeast? And if we were to talk to you again in 10 years, um, will a lot of this have come to fruition? So what what, what is your sort of outlook for uh, uh, Northeastern New Brunswick? Are we at a new opportunity point here? Uh, or or what, what are your thoughts for our listeners? 
I, I really think we are. I, I think there's, as I mentioned before, for all of Atlantic Canada, as it relates to the energy sector, I, I think there's a golden opportunity for us to be part of that. Uh, you know, if we're looking to supply Europe in particular uh, with, you know, ammonia or green hydrogen uh, or green products, whether it's steel for the automotive industry or other green products, I mean, we have the capabilities here in, in Beldoon and in New Brunswick and in the Maritimes to do that. I mean, we still have some challenges, don't get me wrong, um, you know, uh, but, but I, I think I'm excited about this sector because we can kind of leapfrog. Uh, so rather than try to say, well, I want one of those plants like they have in Three Rivers, Quebec or somewhere else, we can literally through the energy sector, whether it's renewable energy or uh, nuclear energy, um, essentially um, be leaders in that field. And uh, I, I think that the challenge is, is really uh, to ensure that there is political will to do this. If I look at the federal government, it has a very clear strategy with respect to, you know, reducing uh, uh, CO2 emissions, uh, looking at green technologies. Uh, the province is, is working and chipping away at that as well. And, and we all know that the province has a challenge uh, with respect to NB Power and, and keeping NB Power going. So a lot of the investments and 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 the hydrogen project maybe i can use that as an example to illustrate so to produce uh, hydrogen we need more at least for now more renewable energy in in the vicinity of five to seven hundred megawatts that is roughly 25 percent of what the province produces today the province has a capacity of 4,000 megawatts. Just that project in itself is a three and a half billion dollar project. And it is with Nextera, I can say this publicly, Nextera is one of the largest utilities in the world. They're American, but they are the largest renewable company in the world. They're huge in wind. And they really like Beldoon. Uh, they want to produce hydrogen here in Beldoon. And either ship it to Europe or use it for, you know, green product because they see, you know, the opportunities that uh, before them. So if we're able to attract those types of companies that are doing their own due diligence, and I said this to the premier when we introduced Nextera to the premier, I said, premier, they're not looking for any money from New Brunswick. They're looking to at what we have to offer. Uh, a deep sea port, a robust transmission grid, uh, infrastructure that's very important, capacity to put on more wind at, 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 at a cost that's very competitive now. So we have those components and those elements. And um, what we've done is we kind of pulled it together, I think, for others. And, and I think now people like ONB and NB Power and Department of energy are saying, geez, you know, uh, if we have, um, you know, green or clean energy, we can really, you know, uh, develop the industrial base and maybe it's a renaissance, you know, that we do. I, I've always been a strong believer of industrial development, but at, you know, at the time it was using, you know, uh, dirty fuels and, and here we have a chance to really be part of the future. 
On that positive note, thank you for joining us this week on the Insight Podcast. We wish you well as you look to reposition the port for a new generation of opportunities. Thank you. Thanks, Denny. All right. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. And you can hear past episodes and follow the show by searching for Huddle Insights on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And remember to submit your questions for David and Don about the region's economy in 2023. You can send them by email to news at huddle.today. That's news at huddle.today. And thanks for listening. Don and David will be back again next week.